Welcome to the Faith and Grief Podcast, where we explore the intersection of faith and grief. We hope the stories and interviews you hear provide some comfort and hope on your grief journey. Faith and Grief is a nonprofit that provides grief support programs across the country, in person and online. Learn more at faithandgrief.org. Welcome, Eric Markison. He is a chaplain at C.C. Young Senior Center here in Dallas. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Eric joined C.C. Young in 2019 and offers pastoral care and assisted living, long-term care, and hospice. He earned his Master of Divinity at Perkins School of Theology here in Dallas at SMU. He is a certified lay servant and served on the staff at Grace Church. He is also a former teacher and principal and led Lassiter Early College High School to earn a National Blue Ribbon School designation. And we will forgive him, he was born in Houston. (laughs) I lived in Houston for 10 years. I love Houston. I'm just joking. Um, Tell me more about your role at C.C. Young, and how did you move from being a principal to a chaplain? Well, that's a, a good long story and really wrapped up in my grief journey as well. But I was hired in 2019 to join the pastoral care team at C.C. Young. And C.C. Young, of course, serves various needs. One of them is to be church for the people who live there and maybe can't get out to their own houses of worship. And so uh, pastoral care team would offer worship and prayer and classes and the like. And uh, so uh, I was hired to support that and moved into more work with hospice as their need arose. And there was a a need that arose. I had an interest in working in hospice care and hospice ministry. And so I stepped in there and have now moved almost exclusively to hospice care. But uh, at C.C. Young, in that kind of community, it's always duties as assigned. You know, we want to take care of our residents in the best way possible. And so whenever there's a need, we all chip in uh, to make a good experience for the residents there. I left my principalship and moved uh, into pastoral care uh, as a result of my grief journey. After my father died, I made the decision to go to seminary and uh, then uh, get into this work full-time. And my heart was really in pastoral care and hospice care. And so uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that as I talk about my grief journey because it's, uh, it changed my life and for, for the good, certainly. In this time of a global pandemic, and there is so much attention to the older population be highly affected by COVID, and that so many care facilities around the country, care homes around the world, are being affected exponentially compared to maybe the general population. What has your experience been during this time, both personally and there at work with the work you do at C.C. Young? Personally, my weekday routine has not changed much. You know, when things started to shut down, I still continued to serve that community as the need was there. And of course, with most senior living communities, if not all, they have shut down to protect their residents from infection. It was was and is the right thing to do. So in terms of personally, my weekday routine hasn't changed much, but I will tell you that the seriousness of this pandemic has become more and more uh, part of my breathing and living and grieving. And so I really have been in great grief about this for the loss of life, mm. 
as a result for the suffering that folks are going through, both directly in terms of illness and indirectly as they watch family members and watch the world suffer. And then, of course, the loss of just the easy pleasantries, being able to go out as (laughs) I want to. I mean, there's some grief in that as well. So the work has been radically different because the depth of grief really has been palpable at C.C. Young and elsewhere. You know, some people picture the virus floating around, but I really see the grief. I mean, there just feels like it's touchable grief, and it feels like it's everywhere. People in our community are separated from their families in order to protect the residents, and uh, gratefully we have not had a COVID case at C.C. Young, but uh, we are touched by it certainly in the periphery. And folks will disappear on quarantine if they have had some encounter in the community that may be a threat to uh, keeping our residents safe. Because so many of my care receivers are approaching death, the pain of that grief is amplified by the time, of course. And so folks are suffering the separation. They're suffering the anticipatory grief of a death that's going to happen most likely. And so my ministry really is connecting folks and their loved ones uh, using the Holy's presence and uh, uh, the promise of hope to uh, help with that work. In addition to kind of your everyday felt sort of similar, but the intensity I'm gathering has increased. You're dealing not only with someone's end of life decisions and family and those type of things, but we're also dealing with the spirit of folks, both the families as well as the patients. How has that affected your job? How has this time really changed what you're doing, or how have you felt it? Well, and the intensity is a, is a good word for it. It just feels heavier these days, certainly. I'm t- more tired these days, oh, certainly. Okay. You know, what we would expect as normal service at C.C. Young, you have life enrichment folks who are you know, bringing cheer and activity to residents, you have family members coming in and feeding their family members various times a day, if not every day. Mm-hmm. We don't have the traffic anymore. And so the life enrichment folks are doing very little group connection right. and lots of individual connection in people's rooms. Well, there's a separation there, certainly. And so there's this thirst whenever a person comes into the room because. My experience of the holy is about relationship. It really is about connecting. And so uh, whenever there's that opportunity to connect, people just grab onto it. So when I go into a room, I mean, people need more. People want more. People don't necessarily name the grief. They certainly name their frustration at the restrictions. They name their anger at things not being the way they were. And, of course, my cognitive function comes in and out, but the (laughs) folks who I serve also, their cognitive function comes in and out as well. And so trying to hold their hands and remind them, you're in a safe place. We love you. Here's your family on FaceTime or on Skype. Um, We'll try and connect that way. Trying to give them some semblance of that notion of relationship and semblance of the presence of the holy through those relationships. We can pray, of course, and we do. We can worship best we can virtually. Sure, Because we don't gather folks for that. There is this notion that 
you know, we've lost something great in our lives, and right. how do we fill that void at this point? In that space, going into the rooms, specifically on the hospice side of care, how is that being administered? Like, how are families allowed to see their loved one before they die, or are they coming in through Skype and FaceTime? How is that working, and how is that affecting not only what you're doing, but maybe the rest of the staff, too? Because that's an additional, not really burden, but responsibility that they may, may not have had in the past. CC Young Hospice serves folks on our, you know, our, our campus, if you right. will, then in our community. But we also serve folks in other communities around Dallas and in people's homes. Because we have restricted entry of folks to keep the whole community safe and, of course, my colleagues and I safe as well, the folks who are on hospice have had to manage themselves. And the certified mm. nursing aides, the nurses, the folks in life enrichment, all of them have had to take on a bigger role in caring for folks as they have these strange experiences at the end of life, which you only go through once most often. Right. So uh, so people are having to step up and walk with folks at the end of life. Gratefully, C.C. Young's administration, who really is charged with protecting us, has decided that it's incredibly important for families to connect with their loved ones at the end of life. And I've been a real bulldog about getting <laughs> folks, sure. Uh, making sure that folks can come in. And so when somebody is declining, when someone is transitioning, when someone is imminent, mm. uh, their death is imminent, we work hard to get families in. And so uh, we had a death yesterday of, of a fellow that was really quite a surprise to us, but the family, we had thought ahead to get the family in for three days prior, and so they had this really good chance to reconnect before this uh, resident died. So uh, it really is about um, uh, logistics, if you will. Right. Well, <laughs> you know? I, I would imagine that that certainly is different protocol than yeah. has been in the past. When someone dies without having seen their family, it is just uh, heartbreaking, of course, and and makes the grief very, very different and much mm. more intense. And uh, you don't have that closure that we as uh, providers hope families can experience, which is one of the great gifts of hospice. Yes. We work really hard to make sure that folks can see their families. Well, let's take a break. Okay. And we'll return to the podcast here in just a minute. Your role at CC Young, you're taking care of patients and families, but you're also taking care of the staff. You are the spiritual guide, director, uh, someone that they rely on. What are some of the things that you've taken on um, or helped with there at CC Young supporting the staff? It has looked similar to supporting you know, the care receivers who, mm-hmm. you know, or the residents who are there at CC Young. It has to be one-on-one oftentimes. It has to be socially distanced. And, of course, when you do this kind of caring, it's, a, it's an intimate experience for staff members and families, staff members and residents, staff members, staff member. We love each other. We miss hugging each other. Yes. And <laughs> there's, I mean, that's a great source of grief, and we need that touch in some sense. And mm. so with staff members, I remind them, this is 
my curse and destiny my is is to remind folks of the grief i mean i just we're trying to put a happy spin on it because of course in this kind of community we want to make the experience as good as and full as possible right. grief is part of that and so i i remind folks you do need to put on a smile as you're serving one another and serving our residents but this is hard and this is this is a loss and we're all mm. experiencing this loss and i'm here for you i mean that's the great gift of grief care is i can't fix it <laughs> i'm not going to take it away yes uh, but here's my hand even virtually and i'm here for you and i will walk with you and if you need me i am here for you and i will keep asking you what you need to be able to live into this reality as a former teacher principal what are some of the teachable moments that you've seen experienced what have you learned about us and god during this time it's interesting because the normal mode of teaching is to give a prompt and then step back and let folks explore and learn and good chaplaincy i think it really is about walking with someone where they are not trying to guide them in a particular direction as you might be in teaching because there is a curriculum if you will sure. but for me I, I remind folks and I use this word often how fragile we are as creatures mm-hmm. I mean as you know we are susceptible to loss and grief we're susceptible to breaking if you will yes we're also incredibly resilient and I remind folks of that as well that uh, even as fragile as we are especially if you build strength through care right. through relationship through meditation or prayer or connecting with the holy we can do great things even as we're faced with this new thing that we don't know what to do with this experience has many of us adrift and i fancy myself very flexible <laughs> I'm drifting a bit in this and uh, I'm not afraid to say so and I think it really is important for my grieving to say so and for those who are able to drift safely and can be present to that pain mm. you know this time can really be a time of transformation that we can use this time I mean, you pointed out this whole notion of Richard Rohr talking about a liminal space this right. this what the Irish would call the thin places, the places um, where God and creation just have a a break in the separation where we really can reach out and touch the holy in so many rich ways. Rohr says something to this effect. If, If I can choose to experience this space and time, this uncomfortable now, we can create new things. We can construct new things. We can deconstruct we can transform. Mm. And so you see, you know, as our society really is kind of pulling apart things that seem to be um, eroding from our society, be it different kinds of relationships, race relationships, age relationships, this is a really rich time to call on whatever God you call on, whatever sense of the holy you have, to do a new thing with us and to help transform us. So if you have eyes to see and hearts to feel, we can experience this as a real time of grace, never discounting that it is painful, that it is uh, full of loss as well. That's beautiful. I love the idea 
of, and I, I know for myself, I've been trying to stay in that space of that this is a gift as much as it is a difficulty, that we can potentially use this time to transform some of our own grief, some of what the world is like, and maybe when we come on the other side of this, I don't think we'll be able to see it as we're doing it. (laughs) We just may be able to see it on the other side. That's where I'm prayerful about what we're here because otherwise we just feel so adrift. It's difficult, which like you said earlier, many times, this is grief that we are going through. What that kind of grief is, we don't have a word for it, but I like Richard War's liminal space. I've been calling it liminal grief (laughs) because it's this, we kind of know what the world was like before. We don't have a clue what that's looking like, but we're sort of in this space. And for some people, we've been able to have a little time more time with their families, more time to just take a break from the busyness. But I would suspect for families that you're dealing with and with your patients, that didn't necessarily happen. Separation is the new thing, like not being able to see one another. But they were walking into the end of life with their families at hospice. So tell me a little bit more about what hospice is. For some people, they've heard of it. They may have had a family member be cared through hospice, but tell me more about that. So hospice is a way of caring for folks. These folks have a life-limiting illness, and there are some of us who have life-limiting illnesses who are not close to the end of our lives. Right. Hospice takes care of those folks right at the end of their lives. And so um, they've had this illness, they've tried to treat it perhaps, or they've decided not to treat this illness. Uh, they've lived with it for many years and have, and all, all the evidence that they have and the, the providers have say, says um, that this is the end of their lives. You know, mm. their body is just not going to survive this. So much of our care in our society is focused on fixing people and avoiding or curing illnesses, living as long as we can. We think we're going to live forever. So when death is likely to come soon, we just don't have a practice around that. We don't have a vocabulary for it. So what hospice does is walks with patients and their loved ones. We encourage a really high quality of life. We encourage uh, that the care receiver is as comfortable as they possibly can be given the limits of their illness and, of course, now the limits of these times. And um, we want to manage symptoms, but most importantly, probably, we want to heal minds and hearts and spirits during a time of great loss. So with patients, I try to clear out the clutter some <laughs> so they can attend to significant end-of-life concerns and encourage them to do that. And of course, it, when you have this pause in all life as we know it, we all could be doing that, clearing out the clutter. We help folks look back on their lives. We have them look ahead to what the transformation of death holds for them in their belief system or in in the reality of what happens to their bodies. We talk about suffering and what that means as well as loss. We help them name who they are really with clarity and truth. This is who my I have been through my life. This is who my identity. Right. And then help them to get words to say goodbye or experiences to say goodbye to this world and to the people they love. Now with families, hospices name the grief, help process the grief, help prepare folks for the grieving as well as the mourning, the ritual saying goodbye. Right, right. Um, 
and then help them imagine what a new future will hold in the midst of this loss. To me, the work and the care that hospice provides both the patients and the families is just beautiful and, in my opinion, sacred. To me, being able to be with someone and walk them through that transition is an honor. It is just a beautiful space that many people don't get to experience. But you mentioned earlier that you kind of got into hospice kind of out of your own personal grief. Tell me about that journey for you and kind of what your grief journey yourself has been like. Well, it is sacred ground, that's for sure. I call it that all the time. It's just incredibly holy work and holy ground. You know, I didn't really have much of a conscious sense of the holy till I was about 18 or 19 years old. Mm. And one of my first models for prayer is is the Pieta, if you know what Mm -hmm. that is. It's the Christian image of Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding his dead body after the crucifixion. And I think part of the reason I was attracted to that at this point of change in my life was that I had had a really privileged upbringing. I'm a white male. Uh, I've had, you know, just the advantages that come with you know, safe home, never having worried about where my next meal has come from. Mm-hmm. So that image to me just helped me remember there is sorrow in the world. In 1994, uh, my mother was killed really tragically in an accident. And I had almost no experience with grief up to that point, save for this meditation on the Pieta, on this death and this loss. My next 18 years teaching and working really I like to call it a a koan. It really is this kind of unanswered question. What is going on in my life? What does this loss mean for me? How do I come to grips with it? And so I went through therapy at different phases of that. Relationships changed. I prayed in different ways and met the holy in different ways. In 2012, so this is 18 years after my mom died, my father gathers my sister, my brother, and I at his bedside and says, I want to go off of dialysis. I'm going to die as a result of that. Are you okay with that? Wow. That was my reaction, was just marveling at the faith and love that comes from being able to do that. And my father didn't have faith in God, per se, but he certainly had faith in his family and this Mm. love that had sustained him and it all of us. Sure. So I was able to be at his bedside and experience what I would name a really good death. Mm. Uh, And again, the holiest ground, of course, someone I love who is transitioning out of life as I know it into whatever is next. And of course, the grief and the the loss that goes with it. So that experience itself moved me to end my 25-year education career to go to seminary. Spent three years doing that. My third year was a a practicum at Parkland Hospital here in Dallas. And Mm -hmm. a marvelous just a glorious place to learn how to walk with people who are in a special kind of need, be it uh, folks who are experiencing traumas or burns, folks who have a long life-limiting illness or mm-hmm. have been surprised by something. But my commitment really was I would like other people to experience the good death that I was able oh, to okay. experience with my father. And so hospice and palliative care were big draws for me. It makes sense. I can see after your father's death and experiencing that good death, as you said, uh, which I love that phrase. I, I know some, for some people that sounds a little scary, but if we can all have a good death, that's the way we hope 
it will be. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you saw that and wanted that for other people and wanted to be able to be that person and to offer the care as both the families and the patients walk that journey at end of life. And there's certainly a, a certain amount of uh, pride, I would think, that comes with thinking that even I could possibly do that because it's such a personal sure. moment for families and individuals who are facing death and end of life and loss. And so uh, what chaplaincy teaches is that you walk alongside folks as for as long as they will have you, if, mm-hmm. if you can be of any help, and certainly simply the presence of somebody loving even silently, is of great encouragement to families who are going through these losses. And I think so many times, um, at least at Faith and Grief, one of the things that we do is we're a ministry of presence. So it's not about necessarily telling people how to grieve and what's right and what's wrong. In fact, we're not about that at all. It's being there. So many times people ask me, what, what can I do? What can I say? I know this person's dying. What should I do for the family? I said, just tell them you're available. And if you need to say, I'm available to walk your dog, give them something tangible that they can say yes to. And that's about it. They just need to know you're there and to be able to listen if they needed to. But more than anything, it's just that present. Has that been your experience? Oh, I mean, it it certainly, (laughs) I have seen many times my own failure to stay quiet in that holy moment. Mm. And of course, no words do any justice, no deeds even do any justice other than that presence, that availability there. And of course, you know, a good casserole can <laughs> get a lot of mileage, as could taking care of uh, a dog or a cat. Right. It's a, a huge gift to folks. But most of all, what you're saying is that I'm here and that you, even in the midst of this loss, have some connection to this world, to love, mm. to, uh, to a family of care that will support you through this time and beyond this time. I think so many times as someone's grieving or walking into grief because you're dealing with them as that transition's happening, the hard feelings, the sadness, the despair, sometimes it may be those things. And so, especially early on, it's difficult to think of things that would make you feel better, that would comfort you or possibly give you any sign or feeling of hope. Where do you find comfort and hope, both personally and as you are grieving both your parents? Well, I, I can speak directly to this time right now. I mean, it where you know all this transformation is happening and all this unknown is ahead of us. But you know, people are fighting for justice during this time. Mm. People are fighting so that everybody has care of whatever kind, uh, food care, medical care uh, available to them. Where that's sure. not always the case in our society. Where you know, I may have the resources the wherewithal to to gather that stuff for myself Mm -hmm. but not everybody has that freedom that privilege to be able to do that so there is incredible hope in seeing a community wrap around the need and take care of folks if you're uh, a christian you might call it the reign of god you know it it just Mm -hmm. feels like that's happening here and now which is what you know, Jesus preached in sure. the beginning. Of this this is the time of fulfillment. The, the reign of God is at hand. Change your life, transform your life, and believe in good news. Mm. And so I really, I mean, when I sit with it, when I'm not distracted by the need or the, the exhaustion, or uh, when I can sit and, and be in the present 
what it looks like to me is just this whole notion, again, of heaven coming to earth and reaching into this place and um, reminding us that we who believe in something greater than we are, it is everywhere. It's all wrapped around us. It's, it's giving us strength to live into this fragile, beautiful creation. I love that. I love that image of sort of that fragile, beautiful creation. I'm hopeful that people feel that connection. I think we're seeing as many difficult stories in the world today. We're also seeing a lot of really good stories. I'm hopeful that we can stay there and focus on some of those things, some of the good things that are happening. But it is a time of transformation, which is a scary time. I've talked to a lot of people in our support gatherings and stuff for the last few months. We've been doing everything online like everyone else has. Mm -hmm. And so much of what I'm hearing from them about this time, it sounds like grief. And you mentioned that many times earlier. And I think that's just it. We're in this strange time of grief and we don't have all the words for it. But I like that image that you're telling us about. So thank you for sharing that. So my hope is that it will continue, that we won't simply try and get back to the good old days, which is, you know, of course, a natural and very attractive solution Mm -hmm. to getting through this pain. Because the other part, source of hope for me is that, you know, what seems non-essential is starting to fall away. The things that are less important seem to fall away. And of course, when we grieve, when we're experiencing loss, there's a lot of that that goes on. You know, you just, the stuff that's not important is just not important. Right. I think that's one good thing that's coming out of this time is there is some realignment of priorities and also folks are together in ways that they haven't been in the past. More time spent at home, potentially more time together in very specific (laughs) situations. So I'm hopeful too that people can gain something out of that, that they can see where the love and the comfort that family and those kind of things provide. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate all you said. I think we here at Faith and Grief, like I said, we're a ministry of presence. We are here to walk with people on their grief journey. And I just want to thank you for starting that journey with many people we've talked about already. It's a privilege to be able to do that. So thank you. Shelley, you're welcome. And uh, I'm a big fan of Faith and Grief. So thank you for that ministry of presence that has touched so many people in more and more places now. Faith and Grief podcast is supported by listeners like you. Donate today at faithandgrief.org.